Welcome to the Hill Black Joy podcast presents Soul Food in War. I'm Lola Troy, the host and curator of Hill Black Joy, the learning platform for our community to heal our Black Joy with tangible and attainable programs for the mind, body, soul, relationships, and businesses. And in today's conversation, we are talking about Manifest, a manhood development experience for Black boys and men. Today, my guest is Dr. Obari Cartman. He's a father, a son, a brother, an uncle, a thinker, a writer, therapist, photographer, drummer, and grassroots mental health advocate. Dr. Cartman has served as a professor of psychology at Georgia State University and the Carruthers Center for Inner City Studies at Northeastern University. He wrote a critically acclaimed book for young black men about manhood and relationships, which was recently expanded into a hip hop based cultural identity rites of passage curriculum called Manifest that is being implemented in juvenile detention centers, schools and in private community settings. Dr. Cartman is the current president of the Chicago Association of Black Psychologists. He works locally during doing program evaluation in other community psychology services with HELP, which is Healing, Empowering, and Learning Professionals, LLC. He works nationally as a training consultant with National Cares Mentoring Organization, and Dr. Cartman is currently completing his second book about Black spirituality, which will be released this year. This month, He's spoken to all black men about things that have, you know, we, we've been speaking to black men about things that have affected them, affected black women, as well as black families. We spoke about holistic living, mindset, and mood. And now we've talked about narcissism, PTSD, and relationships. We also discuss sexual addiction versus finding value in themselves as black men. Hey. Hi, sir. So I'm okay. so excited about talking to you about what you're doing, not only in Chicago, but all over the country. I mean, you have so many accolades and I wanted to talk to you specifically about your curriculum manifest. And I think it's going to be just a great dialogue for Heal Black Joy, those that are on and those that will be watching later on. So well, let's thank you for the invitation and thank you for the platform and for the work you're doing. I just I love even the title of the series, the Heal Black Joy part. I think it's so important to focus on the the positive, the affirmative, yeah. and not just the trauma and the despair and the degradation. So I'm yeah, happy to and, be here. And that's what Heal Black Joy was birthed out of, honestly. It was birthed out of my frustration of mm -hmm. just seeing the polarization of our trauma yeah, all yeah. the time. And it was mm -hmm. just like... You know, during COVID, you know, the George George Floyd murder happened and mm -hmm. it was like my group of my sphere of influence. I'm already a trainer by nature. So I wanted to put out something. I wanted to speak to being on troubleshooting what what we needed to see. And I wanted us yeah. to see joy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a part of the solution and not be a part of the problem. Yeah. And in these spaces, you know, I get to meet wonderful people like yourself. Um, you. Yeah, you speak to uh, what our men are going through, what our boys are going through. So let's talk about your curriculum manifest, a manhood development experience for black boys and black men in an African-centered health framework. What yes. does this curriculum entail and what benefits are the boys and the men receiving from this experience that's crafted in an African-centered mental health framework? Fantastic, great question. Um, so the curriculum developed pretty organically, um, working with a lot of young people in high schools and detention centers and prisons. And um, I quickly realized as I was going into spaces with young people that I couldn't go in lecturing, that they would, they, the attention span is short, that the yeah. engagement is a different kind of thing. So I started to collect clips, uh, videos. I used a lot of hip hop, a lot of music, a lot of lyrics. I would print out lyrics of popular songs and then songs that I was listening to that they weren't exposed to. And I would kind of just put them together. And over time, it, it became um, a curriculum. So they, I started to look at sequencing and looking at uh, what, what, before I was to get, before I was able to make a point, I realized there were other points that had to be made first. 
Like yeah. I, I can't go right in and be like, oh, no, we got to, you know, free ourselves or eat better or make better decisions. And they're like, but for what? Right. And so part of part of the, the work in the curriculum was my own frustrated, my own frustrations from being invited to come talk to a kid one time. And that's what was happening a lot. They would come to an assembly or to a class or to a team and I'd get 45 minutes and they see me and, you know, then they never see me again. And there's so much, particularly for men, I would argue for black people in general, that there has to be unlearned and undone and shed before we can add new things on top of it. So it, it turned into like a, a longer process that I needed. And um, even if I would, even if I had like a, a dope presentation for an hour, it, it, it felt insufficient to be special in a boy's life. So if I'm saying stuff that I can get their attention, they can be like, oh, yeah, you're right. I, that, that, that makes sense, Doc. But then nobody else in their world say that ever again. Then then like then I'm, I'm and I'm unique. That, that, that didn't help me either. And so right. I just started to think more strategically about what can we do for real? How can I get intergenerational men in the space? How can I have other men's voices involved? Um, how can I use hip hop? How can I use clips? How can I really tailor a program to the TikTok mind, right? We 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 receiving information in snippets, and you process it, and you digest it, and you and, and you know you can, we can critique it all we want, but like I think it's important to just use it, just adjust to the moment that we're in. So the curriculum was born out of that. Those those efforts to try to get into the hearts and minds of young men, using my own personal experiences, but but trying to meet them not even where they at, but using the things that they're familiar with to take them further than where they even know they're capable of. Right. Um, so it's was 12 unit curriculum. We got topics that we deal with around like historical traumas and systems analysis and critical thinking and emotional intelligence. And, you know, we talk about therapeutic kind of stuff. And uh, we talk about economics and money and sex and consent and value and relationships and women. Like, oh, this, every topic is, is a, like an hour and a half multimedia Hip hop based presentation is engaging and uh, really uh, designed to help them think more critically and feel more critically and to really like be engaged in the in the world that they're in so they could see themselves and see the world more clearly. I love that. I love how creative it is. I love that you're capturing young men specifically. Um, mm -hmm. Last week, I spoke to a brother about sexual addiction versus. Mm -hmm. Um, his value. Yeah. He was introduced to sex very early. Like he started having sex at 12 years old yeah. and he was introduced to porn at, at eight years old. Mm -hmm. And so, and he was having sex with grown women by the age he was 16. Right. By the right. age of 16. And right. I had to stop in the middle of that. And I was like, Hey, whoa, let's call this what this is. This is mm -hmm. rape. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think it's gone unsaid and it's so taboo for us to talk about young boys that are being exposed to sexual trauma at such an early age. Mm -hmm. um, it's sort of like, it's one thing when it's a, when it's a girl and a, an adult male, right. but when it's an adult female with a young boy, we don't deem it as sexual trauma, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, he's with an older woman. He's getting experience. He has a notch mm -hmm. on, on his belt. And right. I think in our community, we don't talk about those type of topics enough. And the no, fact that you have that in your curriculum is amazing. I think that's mm -hmm. amazing. Um, the other thing that you talked about as a part of your curriculum is emotional intelligence. Yeah. So in November, I did a whole month. I did just like I did this month. It was an ode to black men where it was dedicated to black men. One of the topics was grief. It was such mm. an awareness that came from speaking with a brother um, by the name of Robert Fields. He's a psychological associate in a prison system. Mm -hmm. And he uh, and, and, and the awareness was about black or surrounding black masculinity. Mm. The mandate that society, our culture, black families, black women put on black men to remain stoic and strong and, you know, not really tapping into that emotional side of them where a lot of yeah. our males are emotionally disconnected. Mm. Um, this is often prevented, you know, our brothers from getting seeking help, you know, mental health care or even sharing their thoughts with others, like their loved ones, their significant right. others, um, their partners, their mothers, their sisters, their friends. Mm 
what can we as black women, partners, mothers, sisters, friends, um, do to encourage our men to not only hone in on their emotional intelligence and also at the very least share with us their pains and issues? Mm -hmm. um, there are some things I think can happen. I, I, I will start with, I think that the responsibility is ours first. That we have to, so even if the society tells us to think or women or whoever we want to point fingers at tells us this is how men should be, it's our responsibility first to gather ourselves, to meet with each other, to to mold younger men into a different way of being. Um, so I don't start with the society needs to change or women need to change. I start with men need to to, to do this. this, is, to this become is aware, aware of it. Be, to become aware, create space, to develop school, to skills, to read the books. I mean, they, like there's a cultivation that needs to happen um, and we have to want it and we have to have the discipline to do it. So to answer your question though, there are things that, you know, we community folks and that we are dependent upon each other. Um, so uh, when, when I think about what, what women's roles are in helping men find themselves, feel more safe to be more emotional, um, there's certainly, you know, a, 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 a lack of judgment that is required. Um, and part of the judgment, it, it means not expecting the emotional experience to be the same as your emotional experience. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned, a, you mentioned a phrase that men are emotionally disconnected. And in my experience, uh, men are extremely emotional. Men are highly emotional beings. So like we, we tell the story that men aren't emotional, men don't cry. Um, and, 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 and I think the men's emotions sh are shown different. Right? We express them differently. We might not cry in the same way that a woman would cry. We might not use the same language that a woman would use. We might not emote in the same way, but mm -hmm. we feel it. Like we feel everything, the, the embarrassment, the shame, the grief, like we feel all of it. And part of what I think is a part of male culture that is disorienting around our authentic feelings of, of, of masculinity are the, the ways in which we allow young men to feel it because we feel in it, but to quickly distract ourselves from the feeling. So whether we use in, whether we smoking, whether we use in violence, whether we use in sex, whether we use in um, just whatever it is that we use to like, I feel a thing. I'm sad. I COVID. I lost some people and, and I feel it. And there's an emotional pain that happens that I don't, I don't have the, the permission to sit with that. I don't have the language to explain that. Um, you might just see me sulking. You might just see me quiet. You might just see me isolated. I might just be into the game. I might uh, use sports or cars or some other outlet. I, I might be talking about it in a way that you want me to talk about it using words, but I might be using something else to talk about mm -hmm. it. And so when w women, I think, sometimes are like, he's not emotional enough. And he's like, I've been as emotional as possible. You just, there's a, a translation. There's a, a, a language that we're missing. I'm so part so, of that is learning that language. I'm so glad you said that. And I'm glad we're having this tr this real time conversation because as you were speaking, I was like, oh my God, let me strike myself from that. I, I, I can correct self-correct really quickly. Mm -hmm. And it's, I shouldn't have said emotionally disconnected. I mm -hmm. should have said uh, our, our way of emotion or emoting is very, yeah. very different. Absolutely. And the, recogn and the recognizing of that gets lost in translation. For or sure. th there's a disconnect there. Maybe not mm -hmm. emotionally disconnected, but there's a disconnect in how we see each other emote. Mm -hmm. Does that make Absolutely. sense? Absolutely. Okay. So let, let me correct myself on that because I do have Hill Black Joy tribe members that are men that I <laughs> yeah. absolutely, absolutely love because they, 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 get, they tune in. So I don't want them to feel like I'm not hearing them or, mm -hmm. or saying that they don't know how they're emotionally disconnected. I should have used the, the correct verbiage and it's that we just emote very differently as men and women. Yeah. And there's a disconnect in how we can recognize the differences in how we emote. I agree with that. Yeah. I agree with that. And, I, and think there, I think there are lots of times when men are more emotional than women. Really? Compare, like a, a man who has his heart broken, like you don't see it. Like you don't see the heartbreak. You don't see the, the shame or the disappointment or the hurt. You don't, but what, we, what you do see is 
sometimes really like violence. We, I'm in Chicago. I think that a lot of the guns are, are tears coming out a different way. Right. Ooh, um, you, we got, we got men that like can't even take no for an answer for real and are literally murdering their, their fiancés or women, even in the street. Like, uh, so, so there's, there's a male ego that is so sensitive. Are we sensitive? Black people are sensitive. Black men are sensitive, Absolutely. right? We, we've yeah. been through a lot. We, we, we struggle with being in, in a system where we struggle with having like power. Like we, we, we mimic power. We, we posture power, but we are, we're very much aware that we're not in charge of nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, it, it gives us a, a sense, a level of sensitivity where when we get our, when we get our feelings hurt, we feel it very, very deeply because mm-hmm. we don't have nothing else to go to for it. We don't have no, right? We don't have no outlets. We don't have the sister circles. We don't have the, the, the places to go to, to emote in a way that I think is more natural and more healthy. And so it gets stuffed, it gets transformed, it turns into anger, it gets uh, d- diluted. It, I mean, we, we do other things with it. But we feel it again. We feel it very, very deeply, and I think sometimes we feel it in ways that um, causes harm, right? Causes damage in communities. I, I, that is so good. Like when you said the 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 violence, you know that the gun violence turns it is tears is a different yeah. tears. I want to speak to that for a second because you are in Chicago and we, the rest of the com- the rest of the world and the rest of the country, is looking at Chicago like. You know, you guys are known mm-hmm. for having such violence. Like, you know, every weekend is all these people getting shot because of gang violence, right? What is it in Chicago specifically? Or I mean, it's it's no different than any other metropolitan area. But what is it specifically in Chicago that that has gang related? Because there's a sense of of of, of community in a gang, right? Mm-hmm. There's a sense of loyalty to or an allegiance to a specific thing. So so they understand loyalty, they mm-hmm. understand community, mm-hmm. but why does it translate to anger or violence in such a massive way? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think about violence in, in, in sort of multiple levels. So there's an inter-community person to person, like gun violence or fist fights or knives. So that's a very right. low level form of violence. Um, Chicago is also very violent in higher levels in terms of the politics, in terms of the economic structure, in terms of the disinvestment of communities. And so that type of violence, the people that are creating the commu- the conditions in which these young people are living in are the true violent perpetrators, right? The most dangerous neighborhood in Chicago is downtown where the corporations are, where the politicians work. That's where the violence is. And so Chicago has gotten really good at using their infrastructure to tell a story to distract us from like a, like a magician. You're looking over here with the violence over here, right? Um, like so we have, to, we have to address that first. Actually, just like every, any, any metropolitan, yeah. any urban uh, community, that violence is, they, they have, America has practiced that violence and gotten really good at telling a story that makes us not see it, even though we're right, right in front of us. Right, right, right. That's good. It's the narrative that they want us to see, but it's not really, like you said, the the, the real thugs <laughs> mm-hmm, are in position. The real gangsters, absolutely. And it's a problem. Like it's a problem. We 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 got to deal with that problem. But that's not the first problem. The first yeah. problem is is higher than it's the, the infrastructure. Absolutely, yeah, that's been in place for a very 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 long time. That's so good. Um, I do want to touch on this because I saw this on your page and I thought it was really important um, because I am a fan. He's from Chicago. He's no, the oh, yeah, you already yeah. know where I'm going. Um, and I just want to touch on this for a little bit. You spoke about the documentary of, of Genius, which is the mm-hmm. documentary about Kanye West, who is from Chicago. His yeah. mother, Donda West, um, a beloved mother, someone who very much so supported her son. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always been a fan of Kanye. I do feel like his mother's death has played a part in his mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, what, did, like, I saw the way that you unpacked the documentary for me, and I said, I think I put that on your page. I was just like, man, you said everything that I was thinking about. Um, the way that you unpacked it. And I also felt like 
oh, a mother's love, the support and love of a mother can make you g just go by leaps and bounds to the end of the earth because you feel like you can be and do and achieve and accomplish anything. But the absence of that mm -hmm. not only plays on your emotional and your mental health, yeah, but it's like, who's that person that's in his ear that's talking to him when he's going on uh, an Instagram rant? Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. she's not there to balance those emotions out for him. And I think she was such a balancer or an anchor for him. Yeah. You know, when you become untethered, I haven't experienced the death of a parent yet, thank God. But my friends that have experienced this, there's this untethering where they feel like they don't have their grounding anymore. Yeah. And I think because he's become untethered because of his mother's death, I think that has played such a huge role in his mental health mm -hmm. as a psychologist, mm -hmm. as a black psychologist, as a black man who lives in Chicago and understands, you know, living in Chicago and growing up in Chicago. What do you say to that? Like, what yeah. is your thought process on that? I'll start with this. Uh, I, I have lost a parent. I lost my father. Um, I was 25. He drowned. So it was a sudden loss. So it was mm -hmm. very much like a, what the, you know what I mean? Like it was that yeah, kind of yeah, loss. Yeah. Um, since then, my mother has developed uh, early dementia. And so she's alive, but like I've lost her in a different kind of way. Got right. It. So um, the thing about losing a parent, like it's tough. Like it, it is certainly, it, it shakes you up. But if we do this right, if we live life right, everybody loses their parent. Mm -hmm. We're supposed to lose our parents. It's mm -hmm. a part of the process. Mm -hmm. um, it's really tragic when the parents lose the children. But when when you lose your parents, like it's just one of the things that you got to deal with. I think that it's, it's it's important to recognize the impact his mother had on him. Um, I think that there's other things within that loss. I think that the way you lose a parent makes a big difference. Um, mm -hmm. I think that there are some ways in which he has never really processed. This is my speculation as a psychologist. He's never really processed the guilt around the way his mother left and his role in that. I believe that his, his mother was, a, was an independent, uh, successful professor. Um, she had her own career. She had her own life. And, and she was very supportive of him. But there was later in the life, you see it in the documentary, he brought her into his world. Yeah. And his world was toxic. His world is full of cameras and judgment and eyes. And I could only imagine what moment it was when she's, you know, just heading the foundation and doing interviews and she's watching it. And, and, and for the first time, maybe in her life, looking at herself through the lens of an American judgment system and being like, maybe I need to change my body somehow. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I, I believe that there's some guilt that Kanye has around that. Absolutely. That he feels that he had something to do with bringing his mother into a world that maybe she wasn't ready for or isn't healthy for anybody, like not even just for her or him or anybody. I think mm -hmm. that the way we, 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 we sell our talent for capital to, uh, to get approval from a white system and a gaze is unhealthy by itself. So anybody would be untethered by that. Um, I think that's the thing that was, 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 was sh shook him to his core. When you lose a parent, you grieve, you grieve it. There's things you do when you lose a parent. You got to grieve. There's a process. You got to mourn. Yeah. He went right back to work. Whatever your job is, if you're a construction worker, if you're an engineer, if you're a lawyer, if you go right back to work in a moment when you need to be grieving, you're going to, there's consequences to that. If you don't create a community, then you can't, you ain't going to replace your mother, but you can replace groundingness. I, I, I get groundedness from, from my children, right? And I see that he tries to do some of that. And I, I think there's some genuineness around how he has tried to find groundedness in other things and other people. There's, there's a, the, 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 the mate you choose has a lot to do with whether or not you feel grounded or not. Mm. Whether or not you whether or not you as a man, famous, rich or whatever, when you get divorced as as a man, you gotta spend some time alone first mm. before you start dating random people that look like your wife. Can you just preach so, the word, sir? So so it's not just losing a mother. It's yeah. losing a mother was yeah. a was one thing, but there's lots of other things that he needs to get grounded. Um his mother not gonna come back. And there are ways that he can still connect to his mother. We've lost some of that. I say African centered in my in my work. There's there's traditions that we lost. 
Uh, he need an altar. He need a shrine. He needs to go get a reading. He needs a divination. He needs to uh, put uh, pictures of his mother or call her name and speak to her still. You ain't got to lose your mother. You got to reconceptualize what it means to have life and death in this way. And his world is devoid of that. Um, that's the sickness, so. right? That's the that, that, that's that's what that's why he's in trouble. Um, we saying take his meds. It's not just take his, you know, what I'm saying his little bipolar meds. We got we got to reconceive what medicine is in terms of community and and uh, 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 spirituality and, and uh, a family. He got auntie. And he had a song. One of my albums. He had uh, so many aunties. He can make auntie team. Right. Where your aunties at? Right. 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 Where your elders at? There was a time in my life when I lost my parents. I was like, I'm, I feel, I feel like I'm on, on, on constant vacation. Like my parents are away and they don't come back. So like I have a house party and my life started to feel like that. And I, mm -hmm. I, I felt like I wasn't grounded because I needed elders in my life. So I sought them. I found me some elders. That's the process. It wasn't, I, I sit around and wait and complain and, and mope. I just, I, let me go connect to a community where there's elders that I can respect and I can, I can get good counsel. And it wasn't just because they were old. It was just because I could trust them. I developed relationships with trust and someone I fell out with. But all of that is, is work. All of that is medicine. All of that is something different that I don't think, I don't see Kanye doing. Oh, my God. You're talking so good right now. There was so much in that that I can unpack. I want to talk about the elders part of it because I took a trip to Kenya, Africa in 2017. And it was one of the most uh, transformative experiences of my life besides me giving birth to my child mm. and what i recognize there is that you know in africa in the countries in africa they do they have not lost that tradition of sitting yeah. around their elders and honoring their elders and yeah. i think some of it is translated to us specifically but somehow these next generation of kids don't have the same level of respect for their elders as I would say my generation, I'm probably a little bit more older than you because I'm knocking on 50's door, but mm -hmm. um, we were taught to respect our elders. And of course we have to pass that down to our children, mm -hmm. but it's not like we're sitting around listening to the stories yeah. of, our, of our elders like we used to. I remember, I, and I just posted this to, uh, just a couple of days ago, my uncle, um, he was the greatest storyteller ever, you know? Mm -hmm. And I remember, I don't care how many times he told the story, he would tell the same story over and over and over mm -hmm. every time we saw him. But it was just being in his presence, being yeah. around the charisma of him, being yeah. around the intellect, being around yeah. the experience and the expertise of this man, I would just sit at his feet. I just wanted to be like wherever he was when he came to town. If he was going to go get, you know, a Coke, some peanuts and a hot dog, I was trying to be with him because I wanted yeah. to experience his energy. Right. Yeah. Um, I think we've lost some of that. Yeah, we've definitely lost some of that. What's really ironic about that is the thing that, that pulls me to hip hop is its connection to those ancient African principles. When you said storytelling, I thought about immediately how good of a storyteller Kanye is. Woo, he's how, an excellent storyteller. That that's a that's an old tradition. That's not that wasn't born in the Bronx in the seventies. That was that, right. that's an ancient thing. So so the things that that were separated from that we were, that were we were removed from. Not that we forgot, like, but they were they, they were viciously, violently stumped out of our traditions. But we kept them somehow. Like they uh, hip hop, I see as a modern iteration of very ancient practices the right. rhythm the storytelling the oral tradition uh, all of these things like we package it now uh, and what happens is not just that we we gave some of the things away that were medicinal but we allowed those things the, the, the traditions the storytelling the rhythms to be commodified by corporations and then sold back to us when you do that you take the spirit of a thing away Mm. Um, and, I, and I think that's what we see in, in, in Kanye and lots of rappers. We've talked about Kanye because he's making himself the center of attention. Um, but if you're going to cancel Kanye, there's so many storytellers out here in the name of rap and hip hop who are doing, I could argue, much worse damage through right. the, the, the stories that they're telling, the violence that they're inciting, the, the, the addictions that they're getting young people to think are cool. Like, there's so many ways that 
uh, we have to we got we got to we got to hold them to hold them accountable hold um, them for taking accountable. our tradition, taking our traditions, perverting them, selling them to white people, and then causing a cyclical damage in our communities. Um, ain't nothing old and African about that, but it could be if we if we had communities for real, if we had elders for real that were really you know pushing us in the, in the right direction, holding these these two streams together, the ancient principles, the medicine, the power, and making it ours again. Um, but we, so we be chasing these dollars and these awards and we lose ourselves in it. We lose ourselves in it. And then too, the generations, the elders are getting younger and younger and younger. <laughs> right? So that's, that, that, some of that is, is, is part of the problem as well. And we're not having, we're not having enough deep dives when mm -hmm. it comes to our issues. A lot of our, a lot of the things that we talk about are surface. Like you were talking about that, the TikTok seven second, mm -hmm. our, our attention span is, is built for seven seconds. Now, like we're literally being groomed yeah. for, I remember when it was just like, oh, we got a microwave, we can cook our, mm -hmm. it's gotten even faster. Mm -hmm. It's so yeah. short. Our attention span is so short. How can we get back to I know we're doing it. You know, there's a yeah. tribe of us that are having these deep dive conversations, but how can we as a collective get back to more deep dives, more in-depth conversation when it when it talks about when we're talking about our issues, how we can go from trauma to joy, how yeah. we can use your curriculum and and have young boys you know, be introduced to not only the African traditions, but understanding what that trauma is and mm -hmm. let's not normalize it, but bring them into a space where they're walking through your curriculum. Yeah. How, what what does that look like for us as as these tribe members of the community that want to yeah. have these conversations? What does that look like for you? I think it's a really, it's a really, I think that's, that is the question of our generation. I think that is a, a really central dilemma that we have. I got two boys. I only probably hear them in the background. Um, six and nine. And it's a day-to-day -day dilemma for me in my life. Um, right now, I'm, I'm letting them sort of play some video games so I could work on this. So, we could, so I could have the, the, the attention that's been diverted by something else that, is, that I'm very aware of is training their brain. Training their brain to be addicted to the dings and the whistles and, and they, you know, um, they, they, they're on YouTube just flipping. Right, one after another. So they they can't they they have a hard time watching movies, right? We we we've gotten away. I, I can't even you know, I, I gotta take them to an actual theater just so I can force them to sit down to watch and, it. and and listen to the characters and like develop. You know what I'm saying? So so there's there's a thing in me that loves my boys and wants them to be well. I want them to be happy. I want them to have the things that the other friends has. Yeah. Um, but there's a balance that is required and it has to start in the house. Um, I'm gonna take my boy. We have a spring break coming up. And I got I, I decided to force them to do a road trip just because I remember doing road trips. I didn't I didn't, yeah. I didn't die. Yeah. I always we drove to Detroit, we drove to Atlanta. I, I, I personally drove into Houston all by myself. I, I don't my my boys were in my mind. I'm like I, I'm, I'm gonna save them the trouble of being bored out of their minds. And so you know maybe I'll put the phone in their hand or whatever. No, I'm gonna force them to to have to give their brain a break. Yeah. Because I, I I don't necessarily choose. I wouldn't choose. I need people around me just to be like, no, put the phone down. I wake up scrolling just like they do. I'm sitting in the stoplight, and my brain's like, wait, I need to make sure I'm not missing nothing. Right. All of my brains have been have been retrained in ways that requires an intentional discipline to to undo. It's just like fasting. You don't want to not eat, but you know you got to. And so I think that we as parents, as as older folk, have to have to create that kind of structure for our younger people. Where we taking them out to the woods, where we giving them, you know, spans of time where there's nothing to do. If you ain't got nothing to do, and it's either sit there and be bored or read a book, now you're gonna choose the book. If you got the book versus the video game, then that's the you know what I'm saying that's the unfair fight. Um, we have to do. We, we I think we have to be much more strategic right now to give our young people the space to develop to just be to be bored. Why are we, why are we not letting them be bored? And you, I was, I spent a lot of time bored, bored. and I discovered things about myself <laughs> in that process. Yeah. And even if I didn't, even if I was just bored, there's just something about what my, my brain needed the moment to just, to just be. Uh, I think we have to force that. 
Well, not only that, but in that boredom for me when I was a child, that's where my imagination went wild. Absolutely. Yeah. That's where my creativity jumped in. That's where my mm -hmm. love of 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 music and my love of writing and and mm -hmm. and, and coming up with stories. Cause I'm I yeah. was I was born in, in North Carolina in a very, very tiny little small town yeah. in rural North Carolina. So it was it was trees and breeze, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it was just me outside looking looking at grass. Yeah. Right? And in those moments, the even though it was boredom in my mind, mm -hmm. I can remember those are the times where I became the most creative. Yeah. I think those are the moments that we can really tune in. Because you talk about being in the grass. I think those are the moments when like our ancestors could speak to us, when our spirit guides are allowed. If you scroll, if you wake up scrolling, you got TV on the whole time, you got earphones in, there's no space for you to develop a relationship with yourself or those entities that are speaking to us. Mm. Um, it, it, there's, there's, there's instructions that only I can get from the silence. And if I, if I can't tolerate silence, then I'm, there's so much that I'm missing, so much that our, our young people are missing. Um, we got to see it as that serious. Like we, we have to see this as an urgent emergency issue and not just like, oh, maybe I'll get to it one day. Because uh, the conveniences are, are there and they're they real, um, but we the, the things that we lose, I think, are, are, are irreplaceable. Well, I also think in those moments is when you connect not only to, to, to your ancestors, but you also connect to yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and, and we've gotten so accustomed to needing mm -hmm. and hearing and listening to external validation, mm -hmm. having to have someone else tell us who we are and what we what we're supposed to be doing and and, yeah. and and who we are instead of listening to our internal self to find out yeah. because those things speak to us at all times. Like right. when I think about me being a child in that rural North Carolina town, mm -hmm. I think about the things that I do now was were very much so a part of my life then. I was always mm -hmm. a talker. I was mm -hmm. always very creative. I was always super happy or wanting to nurture a happy and healthy environment for myself. I was looking for the yeah. fun. I was a, I was a joy seeker as a child. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I'm a joy seeker now. You know yeah. what I mean? I'm just doing it in an adult version. But yeah, yeah. It, it, I think in those moments is where you really, really find yourself. And we definitely need to unplug to do that. So I applaud you as a parent. Um, and as a as a black parent of black boys, mm -hmm. right now, because what I see on the other end of it, because I'm talking to teenagers, and what I'm seeing is is lots of shoulder shrugs. So I ask them like, even the simple things that you're saying, like, what do you love? Like, what do you love to do? Well, I don't know. Maybe you never even thought about it. They just have, are used to just doing the routine, whatever everybody else is doing, or whatever the screen is showing. And when you take a person's ability to conjure up images in their own mind, that creativity, the imagination you speak of, I think that translates to other things in life. And so it's the difference between reading the book and watching the screen. You give up your, your brain's ability to create the image on your, in your own mind. People that read the book instead, they're like, okay, I read the text, and then my brain did the work to create the images. Yeah. That skill set allows a, a, a young man in my room to say, when I'd be like, well, what do you see for yourself in 20 years? You got to have the, you got to be able to vision. It's a, it's a skill you got to have. Mm -hmm. And if you can't and if you cannot close your eyes and visualize something that is not there, then you're stuck with what you can see. And now we got now we, we, we've given the power to whoever's creating the images to create that same image for who you're going to be. And every boy I know got a very rigid image for who they're capable of, what they want to be when they grow up. I'm hearing nothing but basketball players, football players, uh, rappers. Uh, now I'm hearing influencers or gamers, but like it's it's it's, it's that, that's just what you see because you don't see nothing else, and you can't go into your mind's eye create a vision that was not there for you. That ingenuity, innovation, that creativity is something that is a essential life skill for success, for wellness, for joy, um, and we're losing it. Like we're literally just losing a generation of people who can read yeah. and come up with images and sit yeah. in silence and meditate and just be alone for a little bit. Like we lose so much because of that.
I want to shout out to my brother, Scott Hayes, who is a, he's a licensed social worker. He said, we generally have to teach ourselves and our children the importance of mindfulness, just being present mm -hmm. and honoring the moment that Definitely. we are in. That's absolutely the truth. Um, as a psychologist and specifically a black psychologist, what are some of the top mental health issues that you are witnessing in black boys and black men that you work with? Um, so because you're prefacing the psychologist part of me, there's a, there's a training that I had to do to be able to use that label. I went to a lot of school, a lot of books. And in that training, there were a lot of theories that were culture-based that were presented to me just as is. So I got a PhD in white psychology and it was presented like, this is just what psychology is. I was going to so ask. <laughs> they are just like... So the DSM, the di so I, I, I could have easily responded to that with diagnoses that yeah. come from a, a cultural worldview that yeah. is not mine. Um, so I, I would say that is the first place that is the biggest issue for me. Right now, we're in a really powerful moment with the, um, the, the monopolizing body of psychology, the APA, American Psychological Association, um, also the uh, Psychiatric Association last year, they both apologized for contributing to racism and, 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 and human violence through their psychological theories, through their psychiatric practices. Mm. They have now admitted in public, and you can go on the APA website and look at the, the uh, timeline of a bunch of different ways that the the, 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 the presiding uh, therapist, the Harvard, Yale, the, the top of the, the presidents of the APA, like the, the people who founded the organization that I read at school as the founding fathers of this thing, I can now go to their website and say how they have contributed to racism and making black people be inferior and uh, justifying harm and violence and eugenics and uh, uh, concentration camps and all the kind of things that, that have, have come because of the the... the the ability to see a person as, as more valuable than another person and then justify that with science, that is what my psychology gave me, right? So I, so I can't answer that as a psychologist. I, I, I can answer that as a, as a healer, as a, as a, just as a black man who wants better for my people as a father. But as a psychologist, I got to undo the, the trauma, the, the training that has prepared me to not be able to do work in my communities that can actually heal intergenerational trauma. I can cope. I can help people cope and manage. I can help people get back to work. I can help people just feel a little bit better. But I can't uproot the generations of trauma that has happened to our people that we see manifested in addiction and, you know, all the stuff that you see happening, violence, the domestic violence, all the kind of stuff that we see. Um, we got to get to the root of this. And, and psychology, as we know it, is not equipped to do so. Like the, the, the books that we have, the trainings, the licenses cannot do that work in a way that we need it. Can I say this? Um, as a black woman, just talking to you as my brother, because because we're we're brother and sister in this in this in this fight. Um, I am so sorry. I, 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 I have to apologize to you and every other black therapist and every other black social worker and everybody that's in this mental health space that has learned and ha learned the system and then now having to unlearn and also mm -hmm. unpack their own personal journey, trauma, yeah. uh, disregard, disrespect in that. Mm -hmm. So let me just say as a a black community member to another black community member, I apologize. I'm so sorry that you even have to experience that. You know, we have our own set of experiences that we have. Oh, no, that's not your apology to give. I don't accept yet that but apology. As a, as a, as a black woman, no, whatever the thing is, if you were an educator, if you were. Let me just say yeah. this as a black woman, as a mother, as you were saying that to me. I felt, I feel the pain. Mm -hmm. I feel it. And I, I cannot say, I, I'm saying it from a, a, a standpoint of, of nurture. I'm, sta I'm yeah, saying yeah. from the standpoint of, no, I'm not apologizing for them. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing it on their behalf. I'm just saying, I'm sorry as a black female who understands what black men have to go through and what our people have to go through every day. Like we're watching the, 
the the confirmation mm -hmm. you know of of this of this supreme court just conf confirmation supreme court yeah. justice confirmation and the stuff that she's having to mm -hmm. do right right i want to go hug this woman <laughs> right right i want to hug her so bad because she she is so overly qualified for the position right. and right. the 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 dumb questions mm -hmm. that they are asking her that is just rooted and based in pure nothing but pure racism right right and they don't even see it they don't even, right. even recognize mm -hmm. how crazy they look mm -hmm. so when i say that to you i'm saying it from a place of 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 nurture and a place of just connection like i'm sorry that you've had to experience that mm. As my brother, I'm sorry that you've even had to experience that. Um, but as a as a black father, as a healer, what what are you seeing in in your curriculum? What are you seeing with the children mm -hmm. that's coming up for you that you like? You're like, okay, this is something that really is coming up right now in our community, and we need to we need to we need to see it, recognize it, and try to rally around our healers mm -hmm. and our fathers and our mothers to not only recognize it, but speak to it and try to see what we can do to change the trajectory of what's going on. Yeah, I hear you. Um, so I would say the outward package of what I want to get at, and I'm thinking this through as I'm answering this question, uh, the first thing that comes to me is the rising rates of uh, suicide. So that's the first thing that comes to me. There's just something we just got to think about. It's not a psychologist problem. Like it's an all hands on deck kind of problem. What's, what's, what's happening is making our children not want to be here no more to that extent. Uh, mm -hmm. And part of, part of what that, that is making us look at is what are some of the things that have happened in recent years in the last decade or so? We're talking COVID, we're talking unemployment, we're talking uh, technology, social media. What are the new things that have, that have come into our communities faster than we could protect ourselves and our children from. So that's one part of it, of, of the question. But also the question, we, the, the question we've been having before, which is what have we lost along the way? Um, because we've been through tough times before. We've had difficult moments as black people in this country, but we weren't killing ourselves in the same way. We weren't, uh, so I'll say dying by suicide is the, the phrase we're supposed to use. But um, it, it makes me wonder what were the things that held us together before? Um, mm. What were the things that like, the family structures, the spiritualities, the even just like the generation away from having dinner at a table. Like what 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 else goes along with that that we've lost that's making our children more vulnerable? And I think at the essence of that, which is connected to the suicide rates, connected to the addiction, connected to the depression, um, is the sense of worthlessness, a lack of value of life, a lack of value of self. Different than self-esteem, like you can might feel good about yourself. You might think that you're good at a thing, but if you believe inherently that you're not deserving of being, and if you get into a place where you're having a difficult moment and don't see any hope for moving past that moment, or disconnected from anything that can anchor you through the difficult times, that there's a, again, a, a fundamental or rooted problem that we're having, that the addiction, suicide, depression, anxiety is an offshoot of, but I think underneath that is something much more deep and old um and i think it has to do with value um even you mentioned earlier about black men coming to therapy or going or going to the or going to a, a doctor or eating better um all these things that require before you do the actions a sense that you deserve to be here that you deserve wellness you deserve good things and i i feel like there's a lot of young black men and older black men that don't feel worthy of love of success of, of of peace of mind right and so I, I can give them uh, mm -hmm. tools and, and mm -hmm. skills and have the conversation but if, if underneath that you don't believe you deserve it mm -hmm. then you will sabotage it you will avoid it you will you won't do this you won't follow through on the thing that you know you need um so i think that's the first problem that i would start to start with there's something that makes us so disconnected from ourselves that we don't see ourselves as worthy of life or the things that life brings, the joy, the healing, the stuff that we know is natural for everybody, 
that for somehow all the generations of trauma that we've experienced have left in a crop of young people with this sense that it's not for me. I might see other people having it, or I might try to chase it by getting out the hood or, or getting the material things to distract me from it, but there's something underneath that that I don't deserve, I don't think I'm capable of. I don't see anybody else other have genuinely, um, or no one's told me that I'm valuable enough to have that for myself. Um, there's something underneath, um, there's something there. There's something underneath it. It's so, it's so, so, um, that's such a, 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 a big moment in what you said about the connectedness of, that we lost, like sitting down, having family dinner, right? Mm -hmm. We're very much so connected technology wise. Yeah. And in that, the connection is very um, superficial. Because mm -hmm. we're seeing our avatar, which is a representative. It's not necessarily mm -hmm. what we're actually experiencing every day. But we put on these faces and we put on these layers of ego that covers up the things that we're actually going through. But we mm -hmm. want people to see and experience the best version of us, but it's not really the truest version of us or the mm -hmm. realest version of us. And I think some of that lends to that unworthiness. Yeah, yeah, because you're seeing there's definitely lots of posturing. There's lots of performance on social media. However, this is our first conversation. We talked a little bit earlier, but like this feels like a genuine connection to me. Yeah, I do think that we can use tech technology to have real connections. I've I've had very very real moments on Facebook and Instagram, like very meaningful, deep connections that I've made that have translated to the real world. I think that's a different thing than what we've lost with the the dinners in the house. Because what happens in a dinner in a house is you get that connection with your, your primary unit. There's something about having that at home first. When, you, when, the, when the, the beings that created you or that are caring for you see you, hear you, invested in your stories, want to know how your day was, want to do what they can to support you, that type of connection gives a person a unique thing developmentally. Mm -hmm. You can try to get it other other places. And people are connecting online and gaming and they, they, they're right. doing it, they're creating rooms. Um, that's a different kind of connection. Even if it's a real connection, I, I think that people be, feel the, the, the that missing link. There's a, a gap when you don't have that in your house. Um, so I think that's what, I think they said that we lost that. I think that the family dinners is a, is a manifestation of that, but there's something else that, that, that speaks to that, I don't know. We got to get back to it. Like, we just got to. We got to get back to big mamas. The big mamas, yeah. The, the family elders. Family looking millions, at grandmama's but... house and everybody comes over. Mm -hmm. and, and it's a safe space. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's that safe mm -hmm. space. It's that warmth. The soul of it. The, that's mm -hmm. where soul food comes from. Because yeah. Yeah. the cooking, it wasn't about necessarily the cooking, even though the cooking was good. Right. <laughs> but it's about the love mm -hmm. intertwined in the conversation and the love and the time that big mama or our grandmothers or our aunties spent over the kitchen cooking and then serving. Because serving mm -hmm. is like is 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 a way or an expression of love as well. Like I'm serving you. I want yeah. you to eat from me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that's an expression of love too. So we definitely are missing that. And we got to get yeah. back to those traditions, as you say. Mm -hmm. um, speaking of the dynamic of family, I had a question come in from one of my Hill Black Joy tribe members. And that was, a lot of people believe the Black mother-son dynamic to be a relationship comprised of enabling, enabling favoritism, etc. What are your thoughts on this and how it affects black males in society? Um, I tend not to be the type of male voice that, that lends its explanation of problems to community and communities to black women and mothers. Okay. I think that, that that language, that analysis comes out of an easy escape route to say that the mothers are coddling the boys. Um, 
if that is happening, when that does happen, I'm certainly it, it, it happens. Um, but why it happens, I think, has more to do with the lack of presence of the men, of the fathers, mm. that leaves a mother in a position to have to do more than she's supposed to. Whether you're married or not. overcompensating for the absence of the father. I believe that. Yeah. Okay. I think that happens more than more than that. Um, it's cause, so, so there's, then there's the, there's, you know, a mother's guilt. There's a mother's understanding of, you know, trying to mitigate the loss, the, the grieving, um, to try to, to make up for the overcompensated mm -hmm. real. Um, and, and when you, when you do that, certainly, the, you know, enabling might happen and spoiling might happen. Um, there's things that might happen, but I wouldn't say it's because of mother's not doing what she's supposed to do. I believe what's, what's happening when that happens most often is the mother's doing the best that she can. Yeah. Um, and, whether she has a, that that biological father in the house or not, or whether or not there's a community of men that make up for that lack, is the men's responsibility first. I believe the men are we are we have dropped the ball. I believe we are not doing what we're supposed to do um, to support mothers who are raising their children alone, um, to create spaces where they can bring their sons to to balance out the enabling that the mother has to do to to make the the son, you know, feel better because of the loss that he's had. Um, it's just this, this, this thing that I would start with men's responsibility first, then giving tips to mothers to do to do things better or different. Well, thank you for that. Um, I think the continuity of this conversation or the thread that that goes through this conversation has been about community. Mm, yeah, um, absolutely. And I love the conversation because I think what you're doing, what I'm doing. I see my brothers in here, the Kingdom Bros. I want to shout them out. What Scott Hayes and his wife are doing on the Love Hayes podcast. Uh, my sister, Jennifer Arniz, what she's doing uh, with her mother wound conversation. I think we're all collectively having similar conversations mm -hmm. and talking about community and how we bring our community together. But I noticed, <laughs> and I've seen this a lot recently, where, because I watch a lot of a podcasts, I'm, I'm tuned in to everything. I watch sports podcasts, I watch everything, because one, I want to see how people are interviewing, and I also just want to see what, what's going on in our community specifically. And what I'm noticing on a lot of podcasts here is that we're kind of pitting, put pitting ourselves against each other for sure and i i want to figure out a way and i know i can't do this alone i know you can't you and i can't do this alone and kingdom bros can't do this alone um to have more conversations like these where mm -hmm. we're not pointing the finger at one another but being able to have have a healthy dialogue we might not always agree because our vantage point is very different as black men and black women but mm -hmm. just to have a healthy, transformative conversation where we can speak with truth yeah. and understanding and no judgment and have a safe mm -hmm. space to be able to have these conversations. Yeah. So I want to thank you. I no, want to thank you because this has been awesome. I know my Hill Black Joy tribe is going to be like, what? <laughs> They're going to be throwing things. Um, when they watch, the ones that have to watch later on. But I just want to thank you not only for sharing your space with me, um, sharing your expertise and sharing your experience. Um, as a Black man, I don't want to say, I, I know you are a psychologist, um, as a Black psychologist. And, and you guys, he's over the Black psychologist in Chicago, I want you to know. Um, those of you that, that joined late. But I want to just thank you for for your experience, your expertise, um, your passion to help push our culture forward in a positive way. I love what you're doing with your children. I love what you're doing with Black men and Black boys. And I just want to thank you for being on. Um, and I'd like to ask this question. Because well, I, I want to thank you real quick before you, before you do that. I okay. also want to thank you for honoring that voice that you heard as a child to do what you were put here for, to speak to people, to be a connector, to um, plant seeds of joy, that 
we have we have these childhood dreams that we lose and they get sort of lost in the muck and the mire. And so when you said that, I really I felt honored to be a part of you manifesting your vision for yourself yeah. or whoever created you's vision for who you are and yeah. stand true to that, having integrity for that. So thank you for that. Oh, I appreciate it. I'm honored. Um, and my last question for you is because I created Hill Black Joy and I, I don't take this lightly because mm. I want to see, I, 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 I tell people I want to be the Harriet Tubman of joy. Like I want to get mm. into a place of joy, right? Because yeah. I, I believe where the joy is with us is, where we excel the most. I think that's where we're free. I think that's where mm -hmm. our truth is. I think mm -hmm. that's where the love is. I think that's where our excellence is. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. that's where the coming together, the big mamas and the, and the conversations mm -hmm. and the safe spaces are. Because we can't do that if we're, if, if we're not in a space of love and in a space of freedom. Yeah. We're spewing our trauma. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We're just spilling over into our trauma. So we got to get to that space so that we can have the safe spaces to have these conversations and teach the next generation better than our generation, yeah. right? So in creating Heal Black Joy, for you, what does Heal Black Joy mean to you as Obari Cartman? Um, I love the joy, too. I love joy. Joy is central to my life. Um. And I think a lot about creating it, seeking it, and when I have it, like relishing it, like really like marinating it, and not just looking for the next opportunity for joy. So, uh, heal by joy for me just means, as we talked about earlier, community, like, and not just people around, but like I, when I say community, I mean something different than, you know, just company, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Authentic connection, uh, uh, mutual agreements, and care. Um, but for me, it's also art and music and um, nature and children and laughter and just health in general, like holistic health, good food and drinking water. Like all of that is joy for me. Um, yeah. Traveling, learning, experiencing new things, helping the world be better, serving. Um, there's, there's so many places where joy lives in my world and I, I, I cherish it. I'm grateful for it and I seek it. That's, that motivates me more than anything else. And you know what? I want to say this because I know you're a photographer. What I noticed mm -hmm, is like, mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm not a photographer, but I know good photography when I see it. And yeah. I don't know, are these your boys, the picture, the, the two son, the two boys? Yes, those are my boys, yeah. Mm -hmm. <sighs> I love that picture because when I look at the picture and the innocence of that picture, you see, when, when people talk about black boy joy, yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah. is the epitome of black yeah. boy joy. I don't know if you did that picture or not. Did yeah, you I did. That's me. Yes. Oh my God. It's like you capture joy in that picture in such a, in, in such a huge way. And I could see it from the standpoint of it translating as a father looking at his mm -hmm. children, mm -hmm. but also just capturing the innocence of their. Mm -hmm their being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just amazing. It was amazing. Thank you for that. I yeah, that. yeah. I really, really, really love that picture. Like, looking at that picture gave me joy just mm. to see it. Like, it, it just gave me some warmth. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I, and, 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 and just like that picture, I don't know if you saw the picture that's been going around on social media with the Supreme Court Justice um, oh, her daughter looking at her. Oh, proud. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Oh, that yeah. picture just does it for me. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna mm -hmm. do a piece on that. I'm gonna write about that um, mm -hmm. in my blog. But yeah, that picture you did of your sons just captures it, and it, it it's okay. amazing. So keep on being the creative being that you are too, because you see it mm. in your art. You see it in your art. I appreciate that. Yeah. So you guys, I just want to thank you guys for tuning in tonight for our Heal Black Joy series, The True Serum. We talked to Dr. Obari Cartman out of Chicago, um, manifest a manhood development experience for black boys and black men um, uh, through in an African-centered health framework. Um, what are you working on? What can we tune in for? What's coming up next for you? Um, 
Well, I'm trying to finish the book. I've been working on for a couple of years, so that'll be the next big thing. Um, but also, you know, just moving the curriculum around, helping uh, other people use it or do more train-the-trainer kind of stuff. So if you have any mentoring groups or basketball team, football team, or if you work in corrections, you are looking for content, um, I got that. Yeah, I, I actually want to connect you with a guy who has a couple of guys that have mentoring groups that mm -hmm. I think that would definitely benefit from you. Cool. For sure. Well, well thank you, my dear. Thank you, sir. Well, thank you. I appreciate thank you. you. I really I do appreciate, appreciate you. This was a great conversation to have. Um, and I want to thank my Heal Black Joy tribe for tuning in tonight. As always, you guys are fully engaged. I know you're going to share it out to your friends. This has been an awesome conversation, an authentic, transparent conversation um, from a wonderful brother out of Chicago. If you have not gone to follow him, please go follow him now. It's at O Cartman, C-A-R-T-M-A-N with the number one. Okay. Thank you guys and have a good night. Always remember that this healing journey Sometimes it's going to feel like soul food and sometimes it's going to feel like war. I urge you to acknowledge and honor both positions and everything in between. Thanks for tuning into the Heal Black Joy podcast presents Soul Food and War.